morning, everyone, and happy Easter. <clears throat> we welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we're so glad you could join us on this beautiful morning. Before we go into the prayer, I just I, last week I forgot, but Suzanne, you can greet us in French today, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, bonjour tout le monde. Je vous souhaite une joyeuse Pâques. <laughs> Thank you. <very> much. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. And next week, Florence, you can greet us in. Is it funny? <laughs> which, which one of the fifty something plus? <laughs> anyway. Okay. I'm. I'm see. I'm. I'm kind. I'm giving you a warning. <laughs> okay. Heads up, I should say. Okay. Well. <laughs> So, um, start with a morning prayer. Yeah, I'm reading from page uh, 27 of Divinity Course in General Collectania and also 155 of Miscellany, both by Mary Baker Eddy. Um, on the 31st, 1907, he, he said, Easter resurrection. Must, we must be resurrected. Must put off the old man and put on the new. If you dress for Easter, your clothes are all in keeping, are clean. You do not put on some clean clothes and some soiled ones. Neither can you put on part of the new man and part of the old. You must put on the whole of the new man, the spiritual idea. Rise to the spiritual sense. Then your body will respond then take no thought what you eat, your clothes, for your heavenly Father knoweth. Ye have need of these things. This is the resurrection. The resurrection is not to be resurrected from matter, dust. There never was any life in matter to be resurrected. The resurrection is seeing the real man. That was never in matter. He never was sick to be made well. That is the way I did the healing. I never saw the material man before me, but the real man, perfect, and this healed instantaneously and no relapse. This is the way Jesus healed, as in science and health it reads. Jesus healed. <laughs> The perfect man, this is the resurrection. Beloved brethren, may this glad Easter morn find the members of this dear church having a pure peace, a fresh joy, a clear vision of the heaven here, heaven within us, and an awakened sense of the risen Christ. May long lines of light span the horizon of their hope and brighten their faith with a dawn that knows no twilight and no night. May those who discourse music today sing as the angel heaven's symphonies that come to earth. May the dear Sunday school children always be gathering Easter lilies of love with happy hearts and ripening goodness. Mary Baker, It's just beautiful. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. All right, the Daily Watch message from Carpenter. Watch number 388. Watch that you do not lose sight of the need for continuous progress. Mrs. Eddy once said, quote, a belief of personal sense that is governed by the truth is a harmonious belief. A harmonious belief governed by truth is spiritual sense, understanding, unquote. This statement gives us the authority for a demonstration to bring out harmony in belief, providing we do not stop there. We must not hold in mind the acme of science namely the attainment of spiritual, we must hold in mind, excuse me, the acme of science, namely the attainment of spiritual sense, 
or understanding through the elimination of the belief in matter, even though this belief has been made more harmonious through the action of truth. Mrs. A once described Jesus' progress as follows, quote, Jesus in the silent tomb spiritualized his personal corporeal body to the extent of presenting it sound. Then he ascended, laid off his corporeality. All his mechanism was preserved and restored until the ascension. He ate with his disciples, showing that he could digest his food with his natural function. I always preserve the above harmonious being in my thought, just as Jesus did. End quote. Thank you. Comments on that? Someone want to explain that to us? <laughs> well, based on what... Um, uh, Florence just read that we have to completely um, see that there is no material man from which to ascend from and that we're spiritual here and now and that we have to continue in our even though in uh, humanly we're gaining more harmony and health and but uh, she says he says here we cannot stop there we have to see that we never were material <clears throat> and so we're not doing anything to a material body we're just rising in our understanding that we never were anything less than God's spiritual idea ever here's some sweet birds <laughs> thank you that's a good explanation anybody else it's <laughs> like jubilee. And we should not strive for human harmony, so called, as the ultimate demonstration. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I missed, uh, I just didn't read all of it because it's a little lengthy, but you can read it yourself. It says, you know, we are not making better a limb or making better anything, we're not making it better. That spiritual idea is perfect forever and ever and ever. And this is what we must rise to. In all our striving, we must rise to put off the old man and put on this new man. Spiritual idea. Thank you. Yeah, because there's a misconception with... I know I had it that we're just, yeah, we're making this human life better. And that's what we are working on to get this human life better, all our little eggs in a row, so to speak. It's a wrong, wrong outlook of it all. We're rising to put off the whole belief in materiality. <laughs> Nobody ever talked about this till I came here. So I want to thank you very much. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, no one ever, and, and it's all these wonderful books, too, that help explain it even more deeply. And, of course, we're studying science and health and prose works. It's not just on our shelf all the time, because it is all there in Mrs. Eddy's works. And then the other early workers expound on it to some degree. And so well, those were good explanations. Anybody else? Any questions? Well, I did think it was very interesting that Jesus came back and he still looked as though he went through the experience but all of his functions were functioning you know I don't think I really thought about that before this week you know he, he had to present himself a certain way so that his disciples knew it was really him apparently but he also was able to do everything he needed to do so. it is really quite something and if we can at least to some even a small degree take part in that resurrection morning today because what did it do for the disciples help them understand better what he taught yes and they were there watching all the wonderful healings and yet they still <laughs> didn't get it but after they saw that it was like a, a big wow right <laughs> um, and so we must as well 
why not? This There's no question all of this happened. And that same God, Father, Mother, God that raised Jesus from seeming death is with us now. And there's definitely no problem too big or too small for him to take care of. All right, our subject today is Doctrine of Atonement. And, well, I and my Father are one, Christ Jesus. Thank you. Now, what are the three statements that Mrs. Evans had given us a long time ago to work with and to work with daily? The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the work. The Father has not left me alone. Thank you. I and my Father are one. The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And the Father hath not left me alone. I like the way after that it says, because I always do <clears throat> what pleases him. Thank you. Uh, that touched me. That's a very important point. Mm-hmm. That's very true. He was able to demonstrate his oneness because he always did those things that pleased the Father. So if you haven't been working with those statements, begin to. They're really a, a complete treatment for everything. And something that, yeah, we, we just do. I, I always like to go back to Bignell Young's article, Oneness. Um, for those of you who need a deeper understanding of what that means, <clears throat> you know, he says that um, we know that we are good because God is the only good. We know that we are intelligent because God is the only intelligence. We are harmonious because God is the only harmony. We are the very presence of these things. We no longer feel that our demonstration lies in, a, in an appeal to a power outside of ourselves to do this or that, but that we are the very presence of these things, even the presence of something that may seem to be lacking. I mean... That is huge. <laughs> I remember when I first read that, how that changed my world in many ways. And it's it's not that Mrs. Eddy doesn't say that, because she does. But this is certainly the prayer of affirmation, to know you're these things, not pleading that you want to be these things, or God help me. <laughs> and even the very presence of something that seems to be lacking. Health is a quality of God and it's something we all have and it exists in mind not in matter so if you seem to be lacking it you can know that you have it not as a human personality but as the image and likeness of God and you have it because God is it and you can't have anything else and Mrs. Eddy further explains this I and my father are one as one in quality, not in quantity. As Jesus also said, my father is greater than I, which was, which was the point he was trying to make that he was not God because there were a lot of people that were confusing him with God. Even now. Even, even now. now and now still a lot of people still are exactly but he was making that point so that people would not humanize god and we see the same thing in the christian science movement don't we we see people humanizing mrs eddie humanizing the science if they could lawrence no, I said yes. It is. It is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And th- this is this is the objection to the Peel books. It humanizes her. I don't know. Someone a while ago asked me, "What's wrong with the Peel books?" Well, if you have to ask me that question, then you know you feel they're okay. Well, it but, shows where you are. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. You you have to see the humanization of it. 
because if you see that, they will repel you. Now, there's another article. It's on the website. It didn't have a name, but it's by Bicknell Young. But it's a beautiful article. It's it's kind of on day, but it's not his article day. But um, he writes, clear up your thought right away in the morning. Think, as I go on my way rejoicing in the Lord, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Mrs. Eddy left signs and health for us to amplify Take and amplify one statement of the textbook daily. Study it in a progressive way and ponder it. You can't study it today as you did yesterday because more has been revealed. Be normal, be peaceful, be sure and let the one mind operate. Now this is one thing we have been told to do here. Every morning you pick out something from the lesson, write it down and work with it should be always unfolding to you try this it's powerful and then this builds up your arsenal if you can memorize the thought you've taken i like that be normal be peaceful yes be normal be peaceful no no weirdness (laughs) and then he says don't settle into a rut you must use the abilities you have man is god acting So think of it as God acting, not God helping man. God is acting in man. And that's what he means by normal. It doesn't mean going along with the human mind crowd and doing what humanly appears to be normal. He means have a normal relationship with God and see yourself as God's image and likeness because that is normal and isn't that wonderful a whole new way of looking at yourself and that doesn't change it's wonderful it doesn't change I like that the fact spiritual fact yes it counteracts everything everybody ever said about you Yep, image and likeness, and not up and down and here and there, but yes, stable. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so we are too. We don't have to have these swing mood swings and up ups and downs and all of this psychology stuff that's out now. Um, so just remember that that. Man is God acting. Another thing we were taught here is you are not God, but what? Reflection. God is reflection, witness, representation, all of them. God, God expresses himself in you. You're not God, but God expresses himself in you. Another powerful. Think of what that means. Now, he can only do that if what? You let him. Hmm? You let him. You let him, right. (laughs) If my thought is empty of all the fear, like in um, individual consciousness, it says, God is individual consciousness when all the fear, hate, and love of error or sin is destroyed. (laughs) Yes. It requires love of God and man. It requires humility, right? As little as to let him. If you've got your own will and your own agenda, you're not doing, what did you say, Craig? What Jesus said? What pleases? What pleases God. Yeah, you're not doing what pleases him. You have to give up your own will and your agenda. I mean, I still get emails and requests, you know, this is a whole list of things that they want, (laughs) they want to see manifested in their life. Whole list of things. All what they want to see. All what they want to see. Convenient to list all the things you need to let go of. Well, that's true. You can see all those things, all that human will. This is what I want. This is what I have to have so I'll feel better and I'll see God working in my life, but I won't see him unless all these things happen. Then he doesn't exist to me. These are all a little bit of 
huge, a little bit of huge red flags. <laughs> I mean, think of it. Jesus was on the cross, and he asked God to spare him. And then he followed that with, but not my will, but thine be done. And he went through the experience. And he took it. And everything that we think we want in life, we should put on the altar. And that means, God, if, if you want this for me, I will be grateful for it. But not my will, but thine be done. And then you have everything you need. You may not get everything you want, but you will have everything that you need. And you will have a joy that nobody can ever take from you. I also like to oh, right. I also like to think of it as as any desire that we have. If all our thoughts come from God, then those desires are God's desire for us. So if we look at it that way, then it is God telling is it's God desiring it for us. But we have to then let go of it and say, okay, God, that's you show me. Um, since the desire isn't mine, I don't, I don't have desires of my own. They have to be your desires for me. So that also helps me, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, be, but, but be careful mm-hmm. about all the thoughts that come to you. Not all of the thoughts that come to you are from God. Yeah, you have to try this. You Try can, the spirits. You can desire things that. <laughs> That's why we have a quarter at the door of thought. Because the thoughts that are not of God, we don't want to let in. And I, I know. Yeah. Christ Jesus does not desire to be crucified, did he? No. 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 So sometimes, um, it, you know, you can't always follow that. Um, sometimes, sometimes, yes, but I think he knew in his heart it was something he had to go through, though. So everything was leading that way. And when he when he went with God's will, he overcame the world. So every time we let go of our own will and we go through with it, we we overcome the world to some degree. So it's wonderful. It is. And sometimes you have to go through fiery trials, right? And he couldn't stop we couldn't be quiet and he had to speak to things and yes. he had to keep teaching and healing so that was going to keep running up against the, the, the false beliefs, false beliefs. That, the he was, that he came to destroy so he had to you know, do it because he had to keep doing what <laughs> and that, the hatred talking. of mortal mind I came to believe that even though he didn't want to do it before it happened he God who loves him must have given him a, a picture or a vision of of what the truth was, what uh, w- what he was in his life as God's perfect idea, indestructible, before he would let him even go through such a situation like that. Yeah. I, I don't know, I just grabbed it from the air, <laughs> but it just he loves him so much that he wouldn't want him to have, would like, he would like to have a vision of where he was going to end up before he got there, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And I'm sure he did. He well, knew he would overcome. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. He said, in Jerusalem, if you destroy the temple, it will be, re- you know, raised so up. In three mm-hmm. We had a picture. I think. Yeah. Yeah, he knew. He knew He knew that he would ha- was going to have to be betrayed, right? Right. He knew mm-hmm. all the things. But was it easy for him? You know, they said at Gethsemane, he was, he was sweating blood. I mean, um, he was so in such uh, agony, yeah, because he knew also what was coming before him. So, but he went through it all, and he went through it all to prove an everlasting victory, that there's no such thing as sin, disease, or death. One of the greatest things he overcame was this hatred aimed at him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and all through it all, there was no animosity in him, was there? No. Amazing. 
Yeah, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Was that ever true? In the Ben-Hur movie we saw recently, the one scene that really struck me was when Jesus stopped, they had Jesus stopping a fight in the street among the Jewish people within themselves. And he kept saying, you know, they're dividing us. They're, this is what they want. They want us to fight. And then the, the Roman leader, the, the highest, and went through there, and he said that the, he's more dangerous than the zealots and any. Uh, any of the others, his thought that he was teaching to calm them and give them peace and love and was more dangerous. I mean, that, so that's what Jesus was up against, was this thought that, that he was so dangerous in preaching. It just was, to me, very yes telling, what, what he, you know, because they did see him as a greater threat, really, that love. Because armed rebellion, Rome could deal with, but right. not this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, and this is what we must be aware of now because of this, you know, division. I mean, honestly, do you think think about it? Do we do we really hate all these people? I don't I don't think I hate no. anybody. But but God goodness, in the news and everywhere you see all this division and hatred. And that's what was so powerful about that story, Ben Hur, because it was a Roman and the Jews and all that division and hatred and between this Judah Ben Hur and Someone he'd loved in childhood, Masala, who then became a Roman soldier. At the end, they had to totally have forgiveness and love. And that story came out, the Civil War, at the end of the Civil War, and it helped heal the nation. It was a number one bestseller. Um, and even the president read it and recommended it. And uh, anyway, and that was why, because of the, this Ben-Hur, Judah Ben-Hur, had to overcome his extreme hatred of Rome and the Roman Empire and what it had done to him and his family and the persecution he had suffered. Dream hatred. He wanted to kill them all. He was heart full of vengeance. And interlaced in the story is, is his encounters with the Christ. And, you know, it was such a different teaching and that is what changed him. It's called Ben-Hur, The Tale of the Christ. I think the movie, in this movie we saw the Masala lived and they were friends. But I think in the book he actually didn't. But Ben-Hur did overcome all that intense ha hatred. He'd been put in the galleys. He was one of these, you know, rowers and um, a terrible, whipped and all kinds of things. So, you know, it's hard when you're put in positions like that not to feel hate. That is the biggest thing to overcome when you have done nothing and hatred is aimed at you. But that is where you become, get your greatest growth. If you can do it, you fall down under it, then no, you will suffer. You will suffer. <laughs> Give it, let it go. Give it up. Yeah. The hatred is really against the truth, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is that you said, if you don't love your enemies, you'll never lose them. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we have to, that, that's, to me, that's a masterpiece. Love your enemies in miscellaneous writings. You should all know it. And she says that hatred is a plague spot that spreads its virus and kills at last. That is why you must root yourself. I don't care how justified hatred or resentment is. You cannot indulge in it. That'll keep, just keep it alive. It, and it makes more sense that justifying is the most stupid and uh, dangerous, deadly thing you can do. Because you, then you don't let go of it. You think there's, there's no reason. There's no reason not to love. That's what I think. No, and you only harm yourself when yeah. you hate. And Jesus and Mrs. Eddie had more reasons than anyone to pay right. it, and they didn't. She did. Oh, my goodness, she did. She did. <laughs> so did, you know, the great workers. The, look at those who live long lives, like Carpenter. You know, he lived a very long life, and Eustace, because they refused to hate. Yeah. I told you the story. You know, Richard Oakes 
who were, was good friends with the carpenters. Um, and he helped them get their books to England where they were safe because in America they were being threatened that the BOD would take them and archive them forever. So anyway, dear Richard Oakes helped in this because he was English and he was, he was a friend of our church. He visited us many times. Anyway, he was taught by Herbert Eustace and he used to tell stories of going to his beautiful home in California and being taught there. But he did. He did say once that he, you know, he was. Aren't you going to do something to these board of directors? Look at what they've done to you. And he used to said, "Don't you ever talk to me like that again." <laughs> he said, "Love is the only answer. I would be dead now if I didn't love." Richard Oak took that very seriously, and so must we all. It's true. If he had harbored that hatred. And I saw it in, in our church, too, when people hated what was done. You can't indulge in that. You have to separate the error from the person and know the error. The error is actually your friend, as love your enemies said. What does she say? Your enemies are actually your best friends because they will put you up on the scale of being when you learn to love them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it makes it clear, if you would want to be a child of God, what do you have to do? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Mm -hmm. So if you're not loving your enemies, you're not a child of God. I think Collectania, I believe it's Collectania, Mrs. Eddie said that she was now operating at a level that would mean instant death to anyone else. Thank you. And I never understood that till now. But it was because of that. That's right. If she indulged in any hatred toward anybody, it would it would kill her. And and any of you who have seen those beautiful movies put out by Longyear, that one when Woodbury, you know, was attacking her and saying awful things about her, and Mrs. Eddie only, only met it with love, and she waited all up all day into the night. She invited this woman to come to her house to see if she could. Um, not have this lawsuit that was filed against Mrs. Eddie, but Woodbury never came. And at the end of the late into the night, she said, "That is so bad. Sorry, because I she would have gotten such, such a blessing. blessing. She'd, yeah. she'd come. Nothing but love from her." In the responsive reading, it says that um, Christ Jesus speaking, and there. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified through the truth. What does sanctify mean? Be cleanse, purify, purify. Thank you. Sharon looked it up. Yep, cleanse, purify, and make holy. And Carrie sent me this beautiful article called Purification by Louise Knight Wheatley, who everything she writes is beautiful. And it says this, one day a Christian scientist who had recently passed through a somewhat trying experience was leaving the home of a practitioner just as another Christian science, scientist was entering it. The newcomer and the practitioner stood for moments on the veranda enjoying the freshness of the spring morning and the eyes of both half consciously followed the one who was leaving as he made his way down the shady street. How that dear man must have been persecuted murmured the newcomer. But the practitioner only smiled as she looked after the retreating figure. Why not call it purified? She asked. To my sense, he is just being pushed into the kingdom of heaven just as fast as he is able to go. Purified, not persecuted. As the one who was undergoing the purifying process proceeded on his way, his heart was full. He had gone to the practitioner that morning trying to find a surcease from a situation which was becoming well nigh unbearable. And he had been given not the sympathy which he somehow expected, but a glimpse into the allness of God, lifting his thought into the realm of clearer vision, wherein he saw that the accuser is not there, signs and health, and man forever expresses the infinite perfection. 
So, and then it it says, you know, this is, St. John tells us that at the beginning of those terrible hours, which mark the final scenes in that most bitter and unjust persecution for righteousness sake, which the world has ever seen, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify thy son. To the clear spiritualized thought of the master, it was time of exaltation, not martyrdom. The man who stands on the mountaintop and thanks God is not a martyr. He has only been forced onward and upward by the compelling hand of love, the heights of which he himself has never dreamed. This is a lesson, one of the many lessons of the resurrection and the crucifixion and the resurrection. If taken in the right spirit, and if you refuse to hate, it will lift you up to heights that you've never dreamed. It, it furthers you much more on the path than just um, peace in the human condition, which we all want, of course. <laughs> but when I say this, so if you are going through some persecution or process or some awful thing, something you deem awful, Take it as sanctification, as cleansing. Sweat blood, sweat blood on your knees and let God lift you up and out of it. And he will. And I think that's what Mrs. Eddy means in Citation 7 where she writes, the efficacy of the crucifixion lay in the practical affection and goodness it demonstrated for mankind. Thank you. Imagine the crucifixion providing practical affection and goodness being demonstrated. Well, it was it was Jesus' affection and goodness for God and mankind that brought him through the experience and enabled him to demonstrate the nothingness of sin, disease, and death. And that, of course, is God's love for mankind, which knows no limits and is not exclusive at all. You know, if you have trouble sometimes, when you have trouble seeing it or seeing God, Mrs. Eddy says that absorbed in material selfhood, we discern and reflect but faintly the substance of life or mind. The denial of material selfhood is the discernment of man's spiritual and eternal individuality. So somehow you're absorbed in your own life, in your own selfhood, if somehow you're not getting it. And you need to deny that, just as we said, you're not God, but God expresses himself through you when you allow that to happen. And then you express your individual selfhood, not your personality, not your human personality with all its ups and downs and goods and bads, but your individuality from God. I also, this was not in the lesson, but I've spoken about it many times. When Jesus confronted, and he did, it's not Pilate confronting Jesus, Jesus confronted Pilate, and Pilate says, you know, I have the power to kill you, <laughs> or save you, and Jesus' answer for all time. Thou hast no power over me, but from above. <laughs> Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Any time you think something has power over you, that's your answer. You tell it that. Mm -hmm. You think it has some, you know, like sickness, like, uh, I, you know, uh, not a good relationship or anything, depression, whatever you think has some power over you. It has no power over you unless it's been given to it by God. And, I have a book now. It's called The Runner's Bible. It was something that Pam in uh, 
Florida or wherever she's from, Connecticut, um, she gave to the church. Yeah, she gave to a whole bunch of books to the church. Yeah, for our library. Um, it's written by a Nora Holm, and Carrie researched for me. We can't see, it doesn't appear that she's a Christian scientist, but although the writings Very sound much, like it, yeah. I think she had some Christian science influence. You know, some of these people had a Christian science grandmother practitioner or something like that. Anyway, she wrote this book. 1913, I think. Yeah, for her 17-year-old daughter, who she said was always on the run. <laughs> she quotes a lot of... Um, Bible passages, and then writes some things about it. And Shardy very kindly gave me a copy of it. But anyway, she writes, and this is the first commandment, because what I just read you from John 19, 11, about no one has any power, no one, no thing, nothing has power over you, unless it's given to you from above. That goes back to the, the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. So this Norma Holm writes, we never fear a person or a thing until after we have ascribed power to it. Right? It's absolutely right. Yeah. We to make a God. Hmm. You give a power to a disease, then you've made a God out of it. Anything you fear, you've given power to it, and you've made a God of it, which is why you're suffering from it, or seem to in belief. When you find yourself in fear, turn with deep gratitude to the truth that all power comes from the one true God. It's Romans 13. Power belongeth unto God. Firmly deny that this thing which frightens you has any power whatsoever, and you will be free from fear and from danger. Freed by the truth. Truth is it. Again, error comes to you for life. You give it the life it has. So when these things bombard you, slow yourself down. Ask, what are you afraid of and why? And what are you giving power to? And if it's not from God, you are making a false God out of it. You will suffer till you stop. <laughs> I think the article, um, Imaginary Goliath, I can't remember exactly. It's on our website. It's very helpful. Oh, good. Thank you. And and also, I couldn't find it, but Martha Wilcox um, deals with this in one of her articles where she says, think of all the people, you know, you've given power to that you're afraid of, even to be afraid of the government, to be afraid of the vaccine, to be afraid of whatever. Food. Food, yeah, food. You can fill in your list. <laughs> Don't give it power. Stay with the first commandment. This is where Christ Jesus stayed and how he overcame death. He knew it had no power. Because God is the only power. And he had been practicing for several years, of course. <laughs> healing others. So it came quite naturally. I see the claim, but it, I deny the power. Yes. yes, that's Mrs. Eddy. Right, I think the blue book. I, I acknowledge your claim, but I deny your power. It claims to be something, and it can claim to be something ferocious. But we... Deny the power of it. Now, Shardy, what did you write on the forum? Oh, about uh, how Christ... First, I wrote, I wrote twice that I realized that, that that there was a part of it that I wanted to talk about, that uh, Christ appeared to the people who loved him and followed him. And before coming here, I used to think, why did he appear and say, look what I did? He didn't need to. He didn't need to. He just appeared to those who loved him. And, and he went through the shut doors. You know, he appeared. I love that. Walked right through, ate with them. And then he said, unto, he said to them, peace be unto you. 
that really struck me when I looked up peace. And it means being calm and serene and whole. And it's very beautiful. That's what he gave them. And I thought it was quite beautiful. The lesson is beautiful. Yeah, he said it three times in that. Three times. Yes. And that's true. I mean, you think about it. Why didn't he go show the Pharisees or anybody? He didn't. They probably couldn't have even seen him. I'm not sure they could have. Because they were absorbed in material selfhood, right? I think the two guards dropped (laughs) right passed out when the at the the tomb when he yes and Spurgeon wrote an article on this that too and he said even even these people they they didn't they didn't seem to be worthy did they because they betrayed him Peter had betrayed him and uh, and they had the door shut so they they were not expectant that's right. But Spurgeon's point was, even when you're feeling unworthy and you've got the door shut, <laughs> he can still, still come, come to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he came in the midst. This was his powerful, holy thought to give him that message of peace. So he'd be gone, gone before and come back and had nothing to say but peace be unto you. So overcome it all. And then there is that. It's a beautiful, I forget which book it's in. I think it might be Mark. But when... Jesus tells Mary to go get the disciples. He says to get the disciples and Peter. Yeah. And why? Because Peter felt so horrible for betraying him. Yes. He felt so unworthy. The great love of Jesus. He knew that Peter would have felt so bad he might not have come. He made sure could have just said disciples said disciples and peter Mm. yeah so that's the tremendous love of of the christ and yes that peace be unto you and you know you can say that to yourselves even in the most dire situations peace be still peace don't let yourself get all revved up and nervous and other things peace it's very important and it's a peace that god gives the christ gives and it's a peace that passeth all understanding once you've come through some of these severe difficulties you will find as someone said previously a peace you never knew existed right yes Yes. I think his greatest strength was that he knew he couldn't do anything without God. And so he never was without God. You know. That is beautiful. Yes. His humility was his strength. And there is no strength outside of humility. Yeah, that's it. And that made him the most strong of anyone. And I love this. I gave this out during the week, but it's citation 13. All that really exists is the divine mind and its idea. This is again going back to the first commandment. (laughs) And in this mind, the entire being is found harmonious and eternal. When you get into the first commandment, your whole being, your whole being, entire being, harmonious, eternal. And then because people wonder, well, what's the straight and narrow way? The straight and narrow way is to see and acknowledge this fact. Yield to the power. And then follow the leadings of truth. So you must see and acknowledge that God is the only power. You must see and acknowledge the first commandment. And then you must yield to that power. You let it use you and work through you. God acting in man. And then I love follow the leadings of truth. You know, you get these promptings. And it's, again, what um, Craig said in the beginning about do all those things that please God. You're following his leadings wherever that takes you, however the rough the road might be. All right, well, we're going to end miscellaneous writings and this is Eddie's Easter ser- service, right? Yeah, this is from 
her article, Eastern Services in Miscellaneous Writings, page 179. What is it that seems a stone between us and the resurrection morning? It is the belief of mind in matter. We can only come into the spiritual resurrection by quitting the old consciousness of soul in sense. These flowers are floral apostles. God does all this through his followers, and he made every flower in mind before it sprang from the earth. Yet we look into matter and the earth to give us these smiles of God. We must lay aside material consciousness, and then we can perceive truth and say with Mary, Rabboni, Master, in 1866, when God revealed to me this risen Christ, this life that knows no death, that saith, because he lives, I live, I awoke from the dream of spirit in the flesh, so far as to take the side of spirit and strive to cease my warfare. When through this consciousness, I was delivered from the dark shadow and portal of death, my friends were frightened at beholding me restored to health. A dear old lady asked me, How is it that you are restored to us? Has Christ come again on earth? Christ never left, I replied. Christ is truth, and truth is always here, the impersonal Savior. Then another person, more material, met me, and I said in the words of my master, touch me not. I shuddered at her material approach. Then my heart went out to God, and I found the open door from this sepulcher of matter. I love the Easter service. It speaks to me of life and not of death. Let us do our work. Then we shall have part in his resurrection. End quote. Mary Thank you. Eddy. Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you all for joining us and happy Thank Easter you. to all. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.